It's always good to rejoice in all things, no matter what's happening. And as I mentioned in, in the prayer time, we, we definitely live in those times where with school shootings, uh, with uh, a train loads of uh, congressmen hitting garbage trucks, uh, with so many things that are just weird. Uh, a lot of us uh, are scratching our heads, wondering uh, what, what is going on in the world around us. And if we pay attention to the news cycle too much, I know a lot of us, uh, uh, if we do, end up being somewhat disturbed and unsettled, if not uh, just escalating in our fear. And it really is a test, I think, for all of us to evaluate how well we are established in our own lives in the things of God. And I think a good way to illustrate that was a, a, another event that happened not very long ago uh, in, um, in, 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 this, in the uh, quiet, uh, sleepy place of the state of uh, Hawaii. Uh, a missile alarm system went off indicating that the citizens had about a half an hour uh, to seek shelter and hopefully uh, find some means of, of, uh, of basically preserving themselves against a nuclear attack. Now, I don't know what, uh, what, what any of you guys would have done had you received that, that indication that things were, the apocalypse was underway. Uh, but for me, I think it would have caused a lot of questions to go through my mind really quickly. And the first one would have been, how settled am I in my relationship with the Lord? And I have a, a niece that lives in Hawaii, and I, I, I spoke to her the other day, and I asked her because I was curious. I said, well, what happened, uh, what went through your mind when you were told that you're getting ready to, 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 to be annihilated from a nuclear attack. And she said, you know, I stopped and I thought about what was happening and I found this peace that just overshadowed me in such a way that uh, it, it, was, it was not for me, it was from the Lord. And uh, she's not a big hymn person, but she, she told me, she said, I just, in my spirit, I just heard this song blessed assurance Jesus is mine and it just she said at the deepest layers of my being uh, it just ministered to me and I was perfectly okay with it and she said I really didn't know that about myself until I found my uh, myself and my family who are all believers uh, just in this impending threat of, of the ending of our own lives. And I don't know where, you, where you're at on that continuum between having a settled peace and assurance that Jesus is, is really our salvation from everything, most importantly, death itself. And that perennial fear that if it were to happen, I just am so uncertain about what death would mean for me. And I, I, I kind of contrast that with uh, a response in the teacher's lounge uh, that my, my wife uh, shared with me about um, her, a, a, a fellow teacher's sister getting an indication that their school was on lockdown. 
And when she became aware of that information, she began to tremble. And she began to just sort of escalate in her sense of fear. And uh, then she just started to get a little bit hysterical. Because she said, um, you know, something bad could happen to my sister and the whole school. And it just began to have uh, an upward spiral of, 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 of paranoia and fear. And Mandy went and put her arm around uh, the young lady and said, you know, this is where we have to trust the Lord. And we have to just have our confidence that he's watching over us. And said some other words of assurance. And it was an opportunity, I think, for her to say to someone who was clearly unsettled about the issue of death on any level, that that there's something more. And my hat's off to her for noticing the situation and the fear that was churning in her heart. And I can't help but wonder if under these circumstances, God is sort of just stirring it up or allowing it to be stirred up because I don't think God is the, the originator behind this. And as he's allowing this, I think it is a way of testing to see just how secure we are in the things of the Lord. And I don't think it's probably any accident that God is calling you and I to pray during this season, this season of Lent. Because so many things that are happening around the world, happening in our country, happening in our own lives can only find their blessed assurance, can only find their peace and stability and confident hope in that environment of prayer where we are connecting with God, not through the five senses, but that spiritual sense that runs even deeper. And part of my responsibility here is to help us to get aligned with that hope. But the other part of my responsibility here, I think, is... It's shared alongside the mission that Billy Graham had. And that was to make sure that we were taking appropriate initiatives to bring the gospel of peace into the environments that need to hear it. And if you, if you have ever looked at the biographical information of his life, um, when he came about as far as a phenomenon who was having such an influence on our culture... There were people who had the mindset, um, they, they were called fundamentalists at that time, that everything out there is bad and we need to retreat to our own little enclaves and, you know, if the Lord ends it, that's just, that's just the way it is. But it was a posture of fear and circle the wagons and this sense that It's just an evil world, and we don't want to be tainted by it. We don't want to interact with it. And there were people like Billy Graham who said, no, we are watchmen. We have a responsibility to read what is happening and then engage all of the areas of influence and taking those areas captive for the lordship of Jesus. Because if you read that passage that was in our reading the other day from uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5, It says, we have divine power to demolish strongholds and everything that sets sets itself up 
against the things of Christ. And so there, there's an affirmation that Paul makes that you and I, if we are tethered to the things of God, have something going on inside of us as we connect to God through the Word, through His Spirit, through each other. There's a strength there that goes far beyond anything that CNN or any of the news outlets could say, this fear will overcome you. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, the writer says a lot of wonderful things about the supremacy of Christ and how he is preeminent over all things, even principalities and powers. And then he goes on to elaborate that the, the purpose of his death on the cross was for us to be delivered from the slavery of the fear of death. You catch that? Because I think all the fears that we have are just, are just sort of um, a, a moment on the continuum of our deepest fear, and that is death itself. And Jesus said, you don't have to worry about that anymore because that is settled. You don't have to be afraid of death anymore. You can have a blessed assurance. And it's not going to come from just merely ideas or, or, or right thinking. It's going to come from clearly ideas in Scripture, but ideas that are activated by the Spirit of God in such a way that it becomes a reality in our lives. So hopefully you're with me on that. Because we have to establish ourselves in the things of God that way. In the word of God. We have to engage God in prayer so that we can keep that connection, that vitality that we have with him, like we do any relationship, strong. And as the Apostle Paul was writing about so many things that were challenges to the church because by varying degrees the church was was uh, either strongly established in the things of the Lord in a lot of ways or in some ways there were areas where we're just not we're just not very confident right now and he writes a book uh, called the book of Colossians and in it we read these words from Colossians 1, 2 through 6. Paul just right out of the gate doesn't even really uh, spend much time on formalities in writing this. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, and thankful. I could just stop right there, but I'm going to expand a little bit. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, there's a lot that Paul said, but I think if I were just to underscore a few points, he was paying attention to some things in his own life that lent credibility to his... Um, his um, his way of expressing the gospel. You can't, you can say a lot of bad things about Paul, like he was ambitious perhaps. You could say that uh, the things that Paul writes, like Peter said, 
Uh, it's so, some things in Paul are just hard to understand. Uh, but you can't say that Paul was a person who had no integrity. Everything that he said, he aligned his life with. He, first of all, paid attention to his own life. And he asked the question, what is it that I'm doing as a human being that is allowing perhaps evil to uh, take hold? Or what am I doing as a human being that allows the righteousness of God to take hold in my life? And I think Paul settled a lot of things with the Lord early on so that he could just proclaim the word and do it with integrity. And I think that's why he, in, 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 in the annals of history, is looked upon as somebody that um, uh, we look up to. Now, as we lay Billy Graham to rest, as far as his physical body goes, and we commend his spirit to the Lord, I think a lot of us can honestly say one of the reasons why he had so much appeal is because he lived a life of integrity, as far as I, as far as I know. Now, I did hear a story one time about him. And maybe you heard this, I don't know. But he was in, I think he was in Amsterdam. And he was walking down the sidewalk with a, a pretty attractive uh, young blonde who was considerably younger. And there was sort of a whisper campaign that emerged out of that. And then whenever he was asked about it, he was honest and he settled the issue and he said, you know what, you know who that person was? That was my daughter. And so, you know, uh, he was one of those people that people looked for a way to say, we got to find some vulnerability so that we can undo the power of his presence. I think all of us would agree we all have feet of clay, uh, but hopefully, like him, we are working on trying to align who we are with the right things of God. We are attentive to what is going on in our own lives. When the, Bible, when, the, when the Bible talks about the word repentance, one aspect of it is being self-aware. Knowing yourself well enough to know there are things in your life that aren't right with God. And maybe some of us like to keep that separated from everything else. But God is saying, you know what? I am taking you into an eternal venue and everything about you has to be made right before we can settle there. And so along the way, we start to ask God, God, search my heart. Show me if there is anything in me that is against your way and your purpose. So we have to do that. And we have to be honest when we do that. Um, I, I was uh, spending some time with my, with my mom. And I think I shared she has COPD. And, um, you know, unfortunately she got caught up in that um, whole smoking initiative uh, that maybe some of you were caught up in and maybe still are. And I'm certainly not judging anybody because things have, have, have changed dramatically since then. But I, I honestly can say that the issue had to, had to do with um, that, you know, that lifelong connection that she had with that one thing that she never could quite escape from. And I think if I had an opportunity to go back in time with her, I could help her to see how the Lord could give her spiritual strength for that. And 
to take that stronghold out of her life. But unfortunately, she's living in the aftermath of it. But long story short, um, for a long time, when somebody would ask her if she smoked, she would say just a little bit. And one time the doctor said, do you smoke? And she said, no, I, I just quit. Well, how long did you quit? She wouldn't really give an answer. And then uh, she said, well, about a month ago. And, um, and then it was, how much did you smoke? And it was uh, a, a pack a day. And, uh, but she wouldn't volunteer that information because she didn't want the shame of it to be out there. And the one thing that I can say about my mother, despite having that bondage in her life, she had so many other things that were reinforcing the presence of God in her life. And, and you know, one day we will all be delivered from it. So before I throw stones at, uh, at her house, I was just thinking about it in terms of my own denial. And I honestly have to say, uh, whenever um, I look at you know, my own self-evaluation, one of the weak areas I have is driving. Maybe a little too fast. And I, I know I fudge the numbers when people have asked me. And I've been in denial over that. And I don't have Jesus stickers on my bumper for that reason because I'm embarrassed about my lead foot. And so somebody was asking me, I think we were talking about it the other night in our, in our community group. And I'm like, dang, my mom's sense of denial is nothing compared to my own. And what God is saying is you need to be attentive and aware of those things that aren't working for you, but rather working against you. And then you need to know that the reason why Jesus died was so that we could settle that. And when Jesus was on the road to Calvary, the writer of Hebrews also expresses that he's going down the road of the Via Del Rosa, and he acknowledges that on the horizon is, a, is an instrument of execution outside the gate of the city, of all shameful places to die outside the gate. And yet the writer of Hebrews says he fixed his eyes on the cross and he denied the shame because of the hope that was set before him. It had to be humiliating, don't you think, for God to subject himself to our humanity and then go through the public humiliation that he went through that was a parade of humiliation of him on display after three years of working wonders and now being called out as a sham and saying, you know, you were a liar and you were a false prophet and you were a false messiah and he just heard it all. But the reason why he was able to continue on is because he not only attended to himself, but he also attended to the purposes of God. In the garden he said, not my will, but your will be done. And I wonder about us. Do we attend to ourselves? Do we ask God in prayer honestly? Search me, O oh God. And I wonder about us. Do we 
ask God in prayer, show me your purposes. And in Paul's case, he's saying, pray for me because my purpose here is I have to proclaim the word of God. And so I need your prayers. And I've shared before, I know that when you guys pray for me, I can just sense God's power working in my life. And when you don't, I know that it's just me up here. And so prayer is such a critical part of our way of life as believers. What we do does not work unless we engage in prayer. Now when Billy Graham came on the scene, as I started to say a minute ago, there were a lot of Christians who were just basically saying, the world is evil and we need to isolate ourselves. And his take was, the world is evil, but... God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so we have to find whatever open pathways are available to march into those domains with the gospel of peace so that lives can be transformed. And in the process, he initiated, along with a few others, a magazine called Christianity Today, which perhaps you've heard of. And it was a way of saying, here's the world, and here's the gospel, and here's how the gospel is impacting the things of the world. It was a proactive initiative that said, don't be afraid, don't circle the wagons, don't um, uh, sequester yourself off from the everyday things around you, but engage But be sure before you do that your own life is in order. Be sure that you also understand the things of God as written in the word. And then be bold. And as we're going through the draw the circle prayer, that's really what I hope that we can do together. Is that we can can look at our hearts and say, search me because here's the thing. I've noticed that the devil usually gets traction almost 99% of the time not because he's so evil and so powerful but because we have some vulnerability in our lives we may have a sin we may have a relational issue with somebody that's not right relationally uh, by the Lord's standard we may have something and the devil says oh that's my opportunity to come in and stir it up The hard part for any of us is to have the humility to say, Lord, I'm not getting this right, and I need to make it right. And the good news is, God's like, I'm not here to slam you down. I'm just here to help you see the truth and to begin to align with it. Because when you do, when you take that vulnerability out of your life, or you could call it sin, or you could call it your own dysfunctionality, when you settle those things, the devil just can't get a foothold anywhere. And you have that peace, and that confident hope that keeps you moving forward, that blessed assurance So we notice what's going on in our lives. We notice what the the Word of God says about what we should do in light of His redemptive purpose. And then the last thing that we do is we watch. Like the watchman over a city that is fortressed. 
that is established, that is a domain that is proclaimed, this is holy ground. Now the notion of, of drawing the circle, you could go a lot of different directions with it, but for me, it's a way of saying I'm taking this space and I'm dedicating it to the Lord. Whenever I, I, I begin uh, my morning on Sunday mornings, I pray about this space. I say this, the, the perimeter of this worship environment. Every room, every hallway, every, uh, every pew, every uh, part of the building, the sanctuary. I say, Lord, we dedicate this to you. We sanctify it. We make it holy ground for you to come in. And we invite you into not only this building, but hopefully into that place that we really circle the wagons, and that is our heart. And we say, Lord, you are welcome even there. And so when I think about drawing a circle, I think about just saying spheres of influence that we establish in the name of the Lord, and then our goal is to just expand on it. So let's just have you guys, why don't you guys come on up here? Because this is a perfect time, actually. Uh, is everybody here um, that's going to come? Do you know, Terry? Okay. Because what we're doing as a church, um, as far as uh, this team of people, is just a symbol of what we all can be doing in watching out in the environment that we live in and saying, Lord, how can we make a difference? Now, all these guys, come on up. All these guys here are doing something that we've been doing for a number of years, and that is they're going to the Dominican Republic. There's a, a couple of communities there that we've had an opportunity to uh, minister to, to make the strong name of Jesus known, and then to influence in every way redemptively to help out the communities that um, we've come to know and love. And you guys are getting ready to go on Friday. And uh, for some of you, it's your first time to do anything like this. For some of you, it's your first time on a trip like this. Uh, but for others, it's a reoccurring, um, uh, just a relational connection. So I want you to just look at all these faces and, um, and, and be praying for them as uh, we send you guys off. And as we just ask the Lord to enable them with the gospel of peace. And we know that as you guys go there, it'll be a spiritually rich environment, won't it? You'll see God work in, in very powerful ways. Part of it is you don't have all the distractions that we have. And so you notice a lot more, don't you? Whereas here, we got too many distractions. We're not seeing much. And when you come back, you're like, wow, I'm seeing a lot more than I saw before. And God says, yeah, you are. And maybe part of their purpose in going is to come back and notice what he's doing and the opportunities that he's creating. So I would like for us as a congregation um, to lift these guys up in prayer. And what I'm going to have you do um, is I'm just going to have everybody stand and then I'm going to pray over them. And then I just want you all to be in agreement with me in prayer because they are going into an environment that I know the devil's not happy about it. But I also know that 
the power of the divine power of the good news can overshadow anything that would stand up against it. Because Jesus is King of Kings and He is Lord of Lords. And everybody has to take note and will take note one day. Would you bow with me? Father, as we begin uh, this journey of um, committing your servants and commending your messengers to bring the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected and seated on the throne that is above every throne. The good news of deliverance from bondage and the fear of death. The good news that through Jesus there is a way, there is a truth, and there is a life, and a life eternal. It's so rich, Father, as we just ponder it for a second. And we know that you call us to be on the offensive with it. Not because we're trying to dominate other people with just another message, but because we're helping, Lord, as you move through us to set the captives free and to allow the peace of Christ to reign. So I pray that you bless your servants here. You surround them with your angels. That you give them grace upon grace where they lack and where they need your provision that they would find it at every turn. Father, I pray that you watch over them and their families and everyone that is connected to them and affected by the role that they're serving here. That you bless them, you guard them, and you keep them. I pray, Father, that as we send them, that they go with our blessing as you bless them through us, and that they go with a confident hope that Jesus, as they face every moment, uh, is just a prayer away. And I pray as we send them, Father, that you would allow them the joy of being producing fruit that can be an offering to you. And then bring them home safely, Father, as uh, we keep them lifted up in prayer and surrounded uh, by the prayers of the people that love, love them and send them. And all God's people agreed together as we say, Amen. Amen. Okay. All right, guys. Thank you. Well, as I just end our time in the Word, I could obviously go on and on like Paul. People be falling out of windows like it says in Acts because uh, it's just too much and too overwhelming. But I hope that whatever I've shared about what we need to notice, whether it's within our own hearts or whether it's within the Word, asking God to help it to speak to us, or whether it's within whatever place God's sending you. Maybe it's a family member. That God is saying, if you ask me in prayer to orchestrate a conversation, trust me I will and I will give you the words. You may think they're imperfect, but from my point of view, they're just right. God's amazing in that way. And perhaps 
that whole train of thought is something that may be foreign to you. And I hope that as a result of the things I've been able to share, the music that you've heard, and more importantly, the conviction of the Word and the Spirit that God's been able to speak to you. He may be calling you into a relationship, or He may be calling you on the mission field. The only thing that I'd ask of you is that you search your heart and ask God to show you. And I'd ask you to be honest with yourself and with Him as you do.